this summer, I had the great joy of having my nephew and his uh, kids and his wife visit David and me. They were here for about four days. The kids are 10 and now seven. She was almost seven at the time. The trip was the lead up to the seven-year-old's birthday on August 3rd. It was so much fun, like just delightful. So on the first night, I pulled out the game Bananagrams. That almost seven-year-old jumped right in. Here's a picture of the final Bananagram. If you look closely, you'll see that the rules of the game are more of a suggestion for her. Um, she did not let herself be limited by um, reading or spelling from left to right, as you can see in the word dogs, which looks like S. God. You can find it. When I tried to gently say, you know, I think it goes the other way, she said, but we know what it means. <laughs> and she was right. I was like, okay, you're, you're right. I do. I know what it means. So you'll also see that she did not have that same hang up about uh, having to make another word if the letter ran into another one. It reminded me of the saying, if you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. So I did not miss any fun that week. My favorite part, though, was right away she said, oh, you know what we could do? We could spell out happy birthday Laurel, which we did. And then she said, you know what else? We could turn an, an L upside down so it looks like a seven, because that was the age she was going to be, right? I know, right? And so we did that. So each day there was some conversation about how many days it was till her birthday and her smile would get huge and her eyes would light up and twinkle and her body would just vibrate with excitement. It was so much fun. It made me think that I wish all of us, including myself, could celebrate ourselves this way. Appreciate the day that we were born, this life that we have, celebrate that we've made one more circle around the sun. So, as you know, today is my birthday. Before this visit with them, I might have not said anything about it. Quietly going off to a week at the beach, not calling attention to myself that way. Birthdays were mostly quiet celebrations when I was growing up. There were so many of us. We always got a cake though. And in third grade, I got a party but I detested that happy birthday song so much. <laughs> that as, there's a picture of me as we're gathered around the table with my school friends and them singing to me and my fingers in my ears. <laughs> so I've stopped that, you'll be happy to know. Um, and I've made peace with um, the song, but I've gone back and forth about how I celebrate. Sometimes there are years often in a row that I'll throw myself a party, make sure I have a plan, um, a small gathering at the church I attended or with a circle of friends or with a beach trip. So I wonder, you know, if you can think about it for a moment, what's a favorite birthday of yours? Or maybe your worst birthday. Maybe that's what comes to your mind first. So I just invite you to think about that and then during coffee hour over cupcakes, um, share with someone what your favorite or your worst birthday was. It was so much fun to be with my niece who 
someone so unabashedly willing to celebrate themselves. I celebrate myself and sing myself, wrote Walt, Walt Whitman. What does it mean to be born, to be, to have a body? I said recently that there are many who believe that we're not human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience. And I know that many people resonate with that. But I know also that whatever is true, the one truth is that the body is what we have right now. How do you feel about it? Are you happy with your birthdays? Are you happy with your body? Has the joy of being in a body shifted over time? Assuming that you were able to enjoy it or did enjoy it when you were younger. When did it shift? Are you full of loathing for your body? Do you feel like it's betrayed you? Maybe we think we're too heavy or too thin, too tall, too short. My mother talked about when she was younger that she had a problem with how her clavicle looked. Maybe you don't like the way your hip bones stick out or that you're hairy or maybe we've been sick or had to have surgery. But there comes a point when for our own spiritual and emotional health, we have to look at ourselves and say, this is the body I have. This is the body I have right now. I live here. This is the body my life has shaped. This is my soul's address. Or perhaps depending on your worldview, this is my body in this lifetime, or this is my body, it's what I know for sure exists, or some combination of all that. It's all I can be sure of. You get to decide for you. But take a good look, and then remember how miraculous it really is. The systems within the body alone are miracles. The circulatory system, the respiratory, the endocrine system, the muscles, the bones, how the body deals with what it no longer needs, how it re reproduces, how they all work together, but how some tiny, something tiny connects with another tiny thing that makes a tiny human. Truly an event worthy of a birthday celebration. What are the odds? You know, what are the odds that that would happen? That kind of awareness and appreciation, well, maybe we can do a better job of wearing these skins with gratitude. Somewhere in time, perhaps in the biblical and Christian tradition, there became a separation between the body and the soul or the spirit. The body was seen as bad. It was associated with the feminine and with the earth. and good was seen as somewhere out there, heaven, spiritual. The Protestant Reformation carried a deep suspicion of physical pleasure, and then Freud happened upon the scene. But that, with Christianity being the dominant culture of the United States, we can't help but be affected by that. It's no wonder that we can be uncomfortable with our flesh. 
Here's the thing, though. Every spiritual practice begins with the body. From taking a deep breath to getting into a comfortable position. Yoga was developed to make it possible for the body to hold itself in a meditation position for long periods of time. That's what all those yoga poses are about. Gardening, walking, qigong, it all begins with the body. Our bodies shape our view of the world and the world has shaped our view of our bodies. Think about that for a moment and how that is for you because it's different for all of us. Some of us have been through some things. What might others be able to tell about you from the way you move, your posture, your gait, the way you use your hands? There's an old proverb, it's easier to lie with the lips than with the body. And Barbara Brown Taylor says that that goes a long way toward explaining why so many of us are so reticent about our flesh. Our bodies are prophets. They know when things are out of whack and they say so. They're really, they're our first responder, our own personal first responder, right? Though we may not welcome the message that they bring. I imagine that many of us grew up with a lot of questions and unearned shame about our bodies that we, hopefully some of us have, worked, have been able to work through. I hope that we as Unitarian Universalists do better by our own children. After all, we do have OWL, Our Whole Lives, the Comprehensive Human Sexuality Program. It's for all ages and taught at an age-appropriate level. We need facilitators, by the way, for the seventh through twelfth grade, seventh through ninth grade, which is the one we offer. Parents of those uh, kids cannot facilitate. You can imagine how that might make people squirm. So um, the OWL values, though, are self-worth, sexual health, responsibility, justice, and inclusivity. Imagine if that is what we had all been taught growing up. And part of that is learning to accept and love the bodies that we have. There's a body positivity movement right now that some people are pushing back against and saying, some days it's not possible for me to love my body. I can't be positive about it. But I can be for body liberation. I can be for all bodies being free. By learning and accepting that we can love all of ourselves, including our bodies, we then can carry that forward and understand that all bodies everywhere get to be loved. All of us humans wear skin. We all breathe and have hearts that beat. Most of us have wept for one reason or another. We struggle with our bodies working the way we want them to. We will all at some point deal with something that has to do with the body if we haven't already, some physical ailment or dis-ease. Maybe most of us are afraid, at least at some point, of dying. And if we're not afraid of it, we're at least thinking about it. Here's something, though. It's nearly impossible for us to increase the reverence we show our bodies, 
without also increasing the reverence we show to others. For a fairly recent example, I invite you to think about George Floyd. Remember that, remember how disturbing that was, how moved we were, the commitments maybe we made because of it. UU poet and minister, the Reverend Julian Hamayaka Soto writes, our bodies inherently have value. Our bodies are where we live and they're the container for all of our experiences, including our religious and or spiritual experiences. If we tolerate or perpetuate the devaluing of other people's bodies, we're also willing to devalue their spiritual experiences. Ableism is the centering of able bodies and experiences over disabled bodies and experiences, while simultaneously devaluing and erasing those disabled bodies. If, in the words of Eli Clare, ableism is the grease that makes the machine of all other oppressions move forward, then the devaluing of disabled bodies is connected to all of the other bodies that then don't have to matter. If we believe that all people have inherent worth and dignity, then we believe all bodies have inherent worth and dignity. If we believe that all bodies have inherent worth and dignity, we also believe that every person also has agency over their body. That more people are, that people are more than the work they do. That caring for one another is a moral responsibility. Even bodies that do not conform to a capitalist standard of working for pay. All bodies are worthy of our care and concern because they are human people with human bodies. If we believe our source, one of the sources of our living tradition, is the direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder, affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. That's what it says, that source. Then we must notice that to which we are moved. If disabled bodies are part of life, then they are good. Part of the urging of transcendence then is to resist all forms of devaluing of disabled bodies or any body including unexamined rhetoric that devalues disabled bodies and places high value on normat normatively able bodies by using disabled bodies as a point of reference for negative metaphor. I invite you to think about our metaphors and how we talk about bodies. The disabled body is a prophetic body. It calls beloved community to account for a past in which the good news has only been for those with the right abilities, the acceptable bodies. And still, the disabled body cannot be hidden or silenced, though it may not audibly speak. The disabled body bridges time to a future in which belonging and contribution are a natural function of inclusion as a core value and a spiritual practice of beloved community. 
The prophecy of the disabled body is this indictment and this promise to what does it call us. One of the awarenesses it calls us to, for those of us who are able-bodied, is that it is temporary. We are all temporarily able-bodied. We must recognize that our bodies are what connects us to all other people and to ultimate love. Love has no hands but our hands, no voice but our voice, no feet but our feet. God has no hands but our hands, no feet but our feet, and justice has no hands but our hands, no feet but our feet. If we're to live this mission of kindling the flame of love and justice, it's about where we choose to put our bodies how we choose to use our bodies, and how we view the bodies of others. Barbara Brown Taylor again says, deep suffering makes theologians of us all. To spend one night in real pain is to discover depths of reality that are roped off while everything's going fine. We ask, why me? Why now? Why this? There's, these are natural questions when we're in pain. I'm going to guess that most of us in here have asked them. Barbara Brown Taylor posits, though, that they're just as valid, just as relevant questions as when we are in pleasure. Why me? Why now? Why this? Who deserves the way a warm bath feels on a cold night after a hard day's work? Who has earned the smell of a loved one embracing you on your first night back home? To hold a sleeping child in your arms can teach you more about the meaning of life than any 10 books on the subject. Right? To lie in the yard at night looking up at the stars, can grant you entrance into the divine mysteries that elude you inside the house. Barbara Brown Taylor. These bodies are daily practices of incarnation, of how the word of love becomes flesh, and how we take the world into us. It doesn't matter as much what we believe about our bodies as what we do with our bodies. Do we take time for them? How do we offer them to others? Would we wash someone's feet? Would we let our feet be washed by someone else? These bodies become our spiritual path. Stanley Hierawas was an, is or was an ethicist at Duke Divinity School who cautions us against being too spiritual in the practice of faith. He asked if there's anything other than the body that can truly be holy. Maybe the body is where holiness begins and ends. Maybe the intellectualization of faith is the greater danger. This has certainly become been one of the dynamics and the tensions in Unitarian in the Unitarian Universalist faith over the last few years. After, well, maybe always, but um, in the sixty years since the consolidation, 
I have hope that after 60 years, we're finding a balance between the head and the heart. It's the body that holds the brain after all. And we say, you, we do not have to leave our minds at the door. That's not what this is about. Without the body, where would we be? Without the wisdom of the body, where would we be? And yes, bodies let us know that it's letting go. It lets us know that we're changing, moving ever closer to the end. They are, bodies are what end us in this lifetime. Years ago when I worked with older adults and with North Carolina Senior Games, there was a story that was frequently told about a nursing home who had taken some of the residents outside for an activity. But as they all sat outside, it began to rain, just a little sprinkle. Um, but they knew that the rain was coming and the staff was, they were rushing out to get all the residents back inside. And this one woman who was in a wheelchair just kept waving them off. And she would say, help that, help them. Uh, take, take that person, she'd say. Let them go first. And finally, when she was the last one, she said, can you leave me just a little longer? I want the rain. I've been in this nursing home for 11 years. I have not felt the rain on my skin in 11 years. Who deserves that kind of pleasure? We all do. Our bodies do. Bodies and minds deserve the ability to access as much as they can access in this lifetime. Our bodies and our lives are worthy of celebration and joy and delight, as are all bodies. May we live as if this is so. Blessed be and amen.